Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, it's summertime in America, so our kids and teenagers are off school just like they always are this time of year. But in the COVID-19 pandemic world, two major differences this year. First, most of our kids have been away from in-person instruction since March, and in most locations, it's far from certain that schools will reopen in late August or early September, and if they do, just what post-COVID-like school days will look like, or ideally what they should look like. And at this point in time, no one knows precisely when schools will reopen uh, and and when in classroom face-to-face instruction will resume, uh, but we must leave the timing and reopening and safety considerations to school administrators and medical professionals, but going forward as parents and grandparents, we can and should take an active interest in the quality, form, and content of our children's education. And one thing for certain, as parents and educators, Let's not just shoot to bring back the youth classroom experience precisely back to where it was before the uh, pandemic. And collectively, we've learned a lot over the past three months, at least I hope we have, and we'll learn a lot more when schools reopen and students reconvene. And uh, when when your children's school does reopen, what should their learning experience look like? And equally important, as a loving parent, what can you do this summer and fall to bring your student back up to speed, ready to perform at his or her grade level? And how can you influence your local school district to maximize learning in the new school year? And to help us answer these questions, I have invited back a highly innovative expert on youthful learning, Lynn Lesh, And you may recall Lynn was a prior guest on our April 20th program to promote his excellent new book, Intelligence in the Digital Age. What you may not recall is Lynn Less's proven expertise in childhood education. A classroom teacher for 24 years, he founded and directed the Children's School, a democratically run school for children ages 6 through 14, for 12 years, and that school received widespread praise and attention. He subsequently has written four books on education reform, emphasizing the importance of what occurs inside a young person as she or he learns, and especially relevant to the subject, are his 2009 book, Learning Not Schooling, and his 2014 book, Creative Learning for the Information Age. Hello, Lynn Lesh. Welcome back. Oh, hey, Roy. How are you? It's good to be with you again. Yes, at this most critical juncture in young people's education. Let's yeah. begin with the present situation. Well, we, you know, we have right now, the way I see it, we have two very 
contradictory opposing you know forces at work one is the coronavirus and keeping children safe respecting social distancing and all of that but then the other force is how to have more social environments where children's developmental needs are met as they learn um my school was for kids 6 to 14 so i'm going to kind of talk about that age range but it's so important that kids have a firm developmental base when they learn that they develop independence self-confidence good relationships with peers good relationships with parents, and not with parents, with teachers, with the, or with maybe parents if they're homeschooled, but yeah. the adults who teach them. But, you know, the, uh, the, the, the thing is, those skills aren't skills you teach like academic skills. Those skills develop when children have a necessary experience to develop them. And the best way to develop those sort of skills are in highly social environments where kids yeah. just aren't sitting at desks all day. They can interact with each other, interact fully with the adults. So we've got, you know, we've got two contradictory kind of kind of forces going, the need for social distancing to keep kids safe. But we, I mean, we want to move, I believe, more and more toward these highly social, individualized learning environments where kids just aren't sitting at desks where everybody's learning the same thing, that learning becomes more individualized, where kids have freedom of movement throughout the school day, because that's the best way to develop. And where they're them. doing what they want to be doing rather than yeah. Yeah, and I've always felt like those, like learning, it's like a like a pyramid of blocks. The the blocks at the bottom are those developmental skills: independence, self confidence, better relationships with peers and with teachers. And the ones at the top are successful academic learning, development of interests. But if those blocks at the bottom, if a child isn't becoming independent, self confidence doesn't relate real well to parents or to uh, peers or to teachers, the the academic learning is always kind of threatened. It won't be built on a firm base. So I've just, I'm just a firm believer, and I found this out at my, uh, at my school, that, that it's so important that kids develop those developmental qualities. So now the challenge is, of course, how, how to have learning environments where kids can develop those kind of developmental qualities, but they can remain safe with the coronavirus going on. Yeah. They're not just sitting at the computer all well, day. Well, here's an immediate challenge for us as parents. How do we... Uh, judge whether our children uh, are ready to resume learning and whether they've kept up online or whatever they may have been doing over the past few months with their uh, classmates and peers. Is there any way to judge whether they're really ready to go back? Well, I think that's just that's that's in the hands of the teachers. The teachers need to just start where the kids are. I mean, yeah. if, if a certain amount of learning has been lost while they've been away from school, the teachers need to start at the place where the kids are and not just, well, we should be at this point yeah. because, you know, it, it's been determined, standardized <laughs> testing, they should be here. Don't start there. Start with the place where they're at. Yeah, that's where especially disconcerting if you say you should be here and some child is not there. But, once but again, yeah, don't try forward. to teach them at a place that's beyond where they're at. Start with where they're at. Well, can you um, offer any suggestions on how a teacher can bring students who have fallen badly behind up to speed without disrupting st- learning for other students in the class? How best do they do that? Well, the more individualized the program is, the better they can do that. 
Amen. Now, I had the the, uh, the luxury of my school. All the learning was individualized, and kids oh. developed a learning plan for themselves. It's hard to do in, in the public schools at times um, because there's so many kids in one classroom. But the best suggestion is individualize your classroom as much as possible, and then you can work with that one child who yeah. needs a little bit of help. But if you just have a homogenous classroom where everybody's learning the same thing at the same time, I just don't know how you ever get around to, yeah. to helping that kind of child. Yeah, I don't know the budgetary constraints as well it sounds like you need about 10 teachers more in every classroom which yeah. obviously public schools can't afford to do no then there's, well, yeah, there's some, always the, the financial aspects thrown into this coronavirus and everything else. But um, I just I would think, you know, the kids can't be, you know, just like right up close of each other all day long no. because, you know, we want to have them safe. And But there are things that teachers can do. They can develop, like, learning activities for groups of kids and yeah. maybe have democratic meetings where kids can discuss what's going on in their classroom. And, yeah. and you know, dramatic productions are a great way to facilitate, you know, children getting to know each other and getting close. Yeah. So as mu I would say as much as a teacher can do while keeping that social distancing, they can, they can help the kids that can with each other on a on a, a personal level that's all to the good and I think there's as long as kids are going to be at a computer for a certain amount of the day while coronavirus is going on yeah. just to respect social distancing here's a great opportunity to connect kids in their formative years with the world of work outside of school oh, um, kids who are learning geometry could connect with an architect who's willing to you know connect yeah. with them online kids who are learning about color could connect with a physicist who works with lasers those who are studying constitution and the law could connect with a lawyer who's preparing cases that's a that's a great use of the internet i've always thought that that schools can connect with the world of work so kids can see there's a practical application for what they're doing you know yeah, it leads out into this this world of work it just isn't there for no reason the connection with lawyers would make a special sense in the winter when uh, it would help heat the school with all that hot air. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I had a group of, of kids who were learning the law and the Constitution. We used to go down and watch any number of trials oh, down at the courts building downtown in Chicago, amazing. and that was fascinating, yeah. you know. Well, some school districts are considering year-round schooling to allow students to catch up academically and to have flexibility in case a second wave of virus hits. Is year-round schooling a good or bad idea? No, I, I would, you know, kids, have a, being, in a, being in school all year, I don't, that doesn't sound like a real healthy idea to me. Yeah. You know, that they're eventually, at some point, they're going to feel like, you know, this is just, you know, this is just too much. I mean, people have to think about, and a lot of times educators, unfortunately, don't consider this. You have to consider the developmental, personal aspects of learning. Amen. That's the most important thing. And you can't push learning at somebody who's not ready on a developmental, personal level. It just won't no. work. In fact, it'll make things harder. Yeah. So I would say, you know, they have to be aware of, of what that might do to the kids, what their attitude might be toward their learning if they're, you know, just pushing them to be in school like 12 months a year. I just don't think that sounds like a great idea, quite frankly. And too bad Chicago has such cold winters with the, or the northern here. Or you could have staggered vacations and keep the school open all year, but let kids off for three months at a time or a month at a time or whatever. 
but nobody would want to be off in the middle of winter. Yeah, and you know, and you got to figure, at least, at least for kids, younger kids in that six to twelve age group, you're really not going to be able to have recess, are you? No. I mean, how are, how is a group of seven year olds going to social distance on the playground? <laughs> that's just that just ain't going to happen, you know. I read about some districts that's going to have the kids have hula hoops and they have to stay outside the hoops. Well, they're not, you know, kids, they're just going to gravitate toward each other. That's, you know, that's just just not going to work, you know. So that's another reason maybe to to rethink the whole idea of having school all year long where it just, you don't want learning to become a negative experience for a young person. That's the worst, you know. Here's kind of an unrelated question. It's more than certain there will be more online at-home learning uh, because of the social distancing. Any suggestion to parents on how to make their houses more uh, conducive to studying. <laughs> I would, you know, I don't just, uh, you know, you, you know, at home the kids have the latitude to move around and and you know don't have them necessarily just sit at the computer. Require them to do that. Let them let them move around. If they have siblings, you know, connect with them. You know, maybe work at the computer for a while and then like get up and and uh, interact with. It's just really important. Kids have that kind of social interaction. But how about yeah, rules on the social media and TV? <laughs> Keep them oh away yeah, from that. there's that there's that whole other thing too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean there is there is an effective way to social use social media where it's not just nonsense. And that's like I said, just use it to connect kids with the world of work outside of school. Yeah. I've long felt that that's what we need to do just overall with our, our education system. It, our schools need to be connected with people in the world of work who can you can teach them and not necessarily be their primary teacher, but show them where their learning is headed and introduce yeah. interesting ideas, et cetera. That's just, that would be a great opportunity for parents. Just find somebody, maybe friends, neighbors who, who yeah. are willing to connect with the kids online, you know. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, from your 2014 book, Creative Learning for the Information Age, you propose a different learning structure. Can you briefly describe for us how this different structure would work? Well, I can give you – the best thing I can give you is the structure at my school. Which oh, I yeah. really, which I really liked. I mean, it, it was all individualized. Now I understand this means a lower, you know, teacher-student ratio. Yeah. But but you know, the kids would come. Everybody would come in at the beginning of the year, individually, and we would develop a learning plan with each one of the kids. They had a say in that. They would negotiate oh, that learning plan. Um, some things could be on the plan. Maybe some things that they really needed to address but weren't. Were kind yeah. of the the issue was more how you're going to learn this rather than if you're going to learn it. So so we would develop a learning plan for each one of the kids, and it would be in a big book that would be in the room where people could look at it. And then we would start the school day, and kids would just go to work on what they needed to do. You know, it was all individualized. Kids would just go to work, and the teachers would help them, and they would, you know, some kids would, could just learn a lot on their own. Some kids needed more help. But it was all just individualized where they can move around the room and learn. And then we, had, we would have group lessons in the afternoon for those that, you know, oh, that, that wanted to do them. But it was, it was, it just, it was all based on, on kids having an individual plan and then, you know, sticking to that. And then the consequences for not doing what you said you were going to do were decided democratically by all the kids in the school. 
by Democratic vote. It's a little different than what goes on in, yeah. in most classrooms, I know. And then, you know, if the kids decide this was the consequence if somebody hasn't done what they said they're going to do, oh, then that's what applies for everybody. So yeah, it was kind of a democratic, that's what I'm worried about, a democratic learning environment where everybody in the, in the environment, parents, and not parents, but teachers, students alike, have equal rights, equal responsibilities. And, you know, freedom of movement throughout the day is just critical. I think How do you encourage the students who always set the barriers too low for themselves and really aren't making much progress? Yeah, well, that's, that can be negotiable. You know, I mean, you can actually say somebody, if, if you're not, pu I'm putting all this effort into what, what you're learning in your life, and you're not putting a similar effort, is that fair to me? You can negotiate <laughs> with the child in terms of what's fair to you and what's fair to them. I would have that discussion just endlessly. They, you know, I don't yeah. want to do this. I'm not interested anymore. And I would be, wait a second, I just spent the last week running around getting you all this stuff that you're <laughs> interested in learning about. And if that's not fair to me, so at least you've got to, you know, meet me halfway in this. It's just that, that constant kind of discussion of who has what rights and who has what responsibilities. Yeah. Well, in your book, you describe certain barriers which may stand in the way of students learning more creatively on their own in the information age. What are these barriers and how best can all of us band together to eliminate them? Well, I, you know, one, one thing is, is that uh, if kids are having to sit immobile while they're learning, that that is going to be a barrier to them learning. And yeah. and um, I don't know. I would have to go back, quite frankly, and look at the book and see what what I when wrote. You mentioned the emphasis on standardized testing. Oh yeah, the introduction well, of national core standards. I know they can. Out in California, they're eliminating all the requirement for a college entrance to take the SAT. So. Well, the standardized tests are a real barrier to creative learning because, they, you know, you learn to get a, a mark, you get, you're learning to get a, a test score, and it, your learning is not your own then. It's kind of outside of you. You're, you're not following your own creative path toward what yeah. interests you. You're, you're following what somebody else has determined you should be learning. It's also the best way to create dulled, disembodied experience in, in young people while they're learning is to, yeah. is to create a, 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 a test score that they learn for. Whenever, whenever somebody's learning for some exterior <laughs> empirical <laughs> reason, yeah, right away they're not going to be learning creatively. They're yeah, not going to be learning creative. Trying to memorize some certain facts. Oh no, no! You have to make you have to uh, you have to make it you know synonymous with what their interests are. We had I had some kids in my school. These guys were probably ten, eleven years old, and they yeah. they didn't like math. They, you know, so there has to be some way. And so we got into, they learned the math through the use of sports cards. Oh. You know, brought, those, brought a bunch of you know, sports cards in from the past, my old baseball cards or whatever, and we got into all kinds of decimals, you name it, and oh, we used right. what they were interested in to teach them mathematics. So you have to, what, what is this child interested in that I can somehow tie this academic skill to, and they're going to be more likely to do it, you know, but as soon as you have a standardized curriculum, it's just hard to do that, you know, yeah. and you're supposed to reach a test score, and when, as soon as teachers are teaching to the test, then, you know, they're going to be afraid that they're Students won't be up to par, so to speak, yeah. and they won't be able to, to uh, bring in creative ways to learn. Yeah. Well, before we go, I'd love to hear your opinion of a um, creative idea I saw on the June 1st 
Wall Street Journal opinion piece by Andy Kessler. He talks about a fellow named Saul Kahn and his flopped cat classroom model. <laughs> Kahn's system is filled with building blocks and snippets that students need to complete before they move on, and learning in each online block would be recorded by the best teacher in your district, state, or county, and these learning blocks would be made fun, and once flopped, former teachers, probably few of them, would become coaches, tutors, encouragers, and motivators to augment online learning, not the other way around. And in fact, exceptional students who moved ahead faster would be encouraged to help their slower learning peers to catch up, labs, field trips, group projects are used to, used to ensure social interaction, and the target, get ready for grade level, everyone finishes but at their own speed. Mastery at your own pace is the common goal for everyone. And the students themselves uh, share responsibility for bringing their colleagues along. Does this concept make much sense to you? Yeah, well, you know, con learning, I, I know all about that, is they have this concept of flip learning where the kids go home and they learn the stuff and then they go home and the teachers help them, with yeah. it, you know, rather than the other way around. But well, that's, that's a good idea. That's, that has some merit. But on the other hand, it's so based on the computer. And like I said, kids need to, to learn in a social environment and not just be at a computer all day. They yeah. miss out on, a, on all the social interaction. And when you're sitting looking at a virtual image on a plastic screen, it's going to dull over time and you're doing too much of that, it's going to dull your emotive life and your formative years more than right. if you were having real-world experience. So, so my, my problem with, with Khan Academy is basically it's so computer-based. Yeah. That's something people just don't get. It's, it's not so much the cognitive aspects, only, although those are really important, but it's also the personal social aspects that are just critical. Yeah. You know, and you can't you can't remove the latter and think you have an effective approach to learning, even if even if you have it all figured out how they're going to learn on the computer and this is all set. So yeah, I know he developed this originally for his niece or something, and then oh. he created all these programs yeah. to go with, and now he's a rich man. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I just think it. The, you know, Khan Academy. I like the idea of the flip learning that they come back and they can yeah. they can you know, after they've learned the basics of what they need to learn, can go back and interact with the teachers yeah, rather than the other. that interaction is crucial. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's just the sitting at the computer is too long where they're not socially interacting while right. they learn. That I have a problem with. Well, forgetting the financial aspects of it, are you in favor of giving parents a more uh, sizable package of affordable options once uh, we resume education, maybe homeschooling, government assistance to pay for a private school, grants well, I, for private tutors. Uh, any other suggestion for helping? Oh, I'm all for that because I, I ran, I started and ran my own private school, democratically yeah. run school for years. And and like, if parents have access to those funds, then they could they can enroll in these sort of small, not so much the charter schools, which are pretty much you know, just the same as the public yeah. schools, not much difference. But but people can create these small, you know, small learning environments that kids can go to, and they can afford to keep them open if parents have access to those kind of funds. I know there are a number of people who just couldn't go to my school, you know, even though it would have been really great for their kid because they just couldn't afford it. So I'm all in favor of that. Homeschooling, I think that's, that's a matter of, of that particular child. 
Some yeah. kids, homeschooling is great. Other kids, it's not so great. But that's something parents have to have to figure out. But I'm all for more more private, small private schools. And you really have to figure out the, how your child gets socially involved when you homeschool. Yeah, because and then there's the matter of if, if somebody, you know, children kind of, they need to leave home at a certain point, you yeah. know, kind of within themselves to become their own person. And, and if, uh, you know, if they get too used to just being with mom and dad all the time, it's that's not necessarily the, the greatest thing. It depends on the, I shouldn't say that it's, you know, all the time, but it just depends on the, uh, it depends on the parent. But homeschooling is something parents just have to be aware of. There's all kinds of different dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, including the uh, knowledge of your the parents and whether they're up to the uh, academics. <laughs> yeah, there's that too in this whole age as things are getting more and more complex. Well, how should uh, our listeners go about reviewing and purchasing one of your books? I know you you have a website they can go yeah, to. Yeah, that's easy. Summer, they can so. go to linlesh.com. And that's L-E-S-C-H, that last name. The right. only has one N, L-Y-N-L-E-S. L-Y-N, right. And... Uh, all four, all five books are on that website, and they can go there. And I've written some blogs, and I put the reviews and articles about my recent book on there. So yeah, the best thing is go to linlesh.com. They can go to my publisher, Roman and Littlefield, oh. and uh, get a book there. Or they can go to any of the major book services. Yeah, and order the book. Yeah. On Amazon. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, September in conclusion is less than three months away. So now is not too soon to begin seriously thinking, uh, discussing, and planning for your children's return to education this fall. And your child's future is too important to just sit back and let your local school board or state and federal officials, you and God, decide what's best for him or her. And I highly recommend you stay continually updated and actively involved. And as Sam Shalton, a fellow author, puts it, Lynn Landis offers a personal, eclectic, insightful examination of how adults can best support the holistic learning and growth of our young people. And I highly recommend you preview and purchase one or more of Lynn Lesh's excellent books on education. Then please get involved. And thank you so much, Lynn, for returning and uh, to help clarify the educational options we may be facing this fall. Okay, thank you, Roy. It's been great. And best of success in your ongoing pursuit to educate the educators as well as us parents and to give uh, our youth the best education possible because that's the future. And bye for now. Okay, you take care. Bye. Well, that was a most rewarding conversation with education expert Lynn Lesh. Uh, regarding options to bring our children and youth back up to speed and enhance their educational experience post-pandemic. Certainly a perplexing issue for teachers and school officials, but also for those of us who still have offspring in elementary, middle, or high school. And to close today's program, let's talk about a few of this spring's failures that need to be rectified when schools reopen for the fall semester. And most of my thoughts come from an article by Tonell D. Hobbs and Lee Hawkins in the June 6, 2020 Wall Street Journal. And the article was titled, America's Grand Experiment in Remote Learning Fails. <laughs> Rather an depressing title. According to the authors, 
the grade from students, teachers, parents, and administrators is already in, it was a failure. Well, at least all parties agree on one thing, but the more important question remains, how do we make education for our kids work better this fall? According to the article, the problems began piling up almost immediately. So what went wrong when schools throughout our land shut down last March? Well, most obviously, a vast number of students had no computer and or Internet access, especially those in poor and minority neighborhoods. Secondly, so few teachers had prior experience with remote learning, and most of us parents had neither the time nor the expertise to significantly contribute. Most of us are not homeschooling experts, that's for sure. Thirdly, a lot of students simply didn't show up online, and administrators had no good way to find out why not. In effect, a lot of kids just got lost <laughs> from the school system. And this led to a fourth problem. How do you grade students when work is completed and tests are taken outside the classroom with no supervision? How can you prevent cheating on tasks or paying someone else to complete your homework or to take a test for you, much less just ignore it? And taken together, these four challenges caused many school districts not to grade schoolwork that was completed at home, away from my controlled classroom. In fact, the state of Washington banned F grades in all its school districts. Districts in other states refused to assign grades to students lower than the grades they had been earning prior to the shutdown. Some of them uh, awarded higher grades, but this encouraged uh, not, not giving any lower grades encouraged unmotivated students simply not to take any online schoolwork at all. And quite frankly, our youth education system currently is in a real crisis and we'll only discover just how bad it is when students return to the classroom or to remote learning in the fall. How far behind are our students from where they normally would be at this point in their studies? And according to the article, preliminary research suggests students will return to school this fall with roughly 70% of the yearly learning gains relative to a typical school year, uh, that's for reading gains, and less than 50% of normal grades in math. Wow. And it expects a greater learning loss for minority and low-income children who have less access to technology and whose families were more impacted by the pandemic's economic downturn. And many schools are now debating what they should do uh, once schools reopen. Should they rewind back to where students left off in March or plow ahead with a regular fall curriculum and, quote, let teachers fill in missing skills? Yeah as if teachers don't have enough to do, uh, and if they spend the bulk of their time and talent with students who are behind, how do the teachers teach this year's curriculum to those who are not? Well, I'm sure glad I'm not a teacher or a school administrator. Here's perhaps a better idea, although one that won't be popular with your kids. Uh, some districts plan to administer exams at the start of the school year to engage a learning shortfall. 
then they could divide up students into groups uh, to learn with those at a similar level. I know your kids won't be eager to take a test the first day they return from summer vacation. Well, it sounds okay, that last idea, though, as long as teachers in no way shame or blame slow learners for falling behind during the break, and so long as they don't apply extreme time pressure on how long the kids have to catch up. <clears throat> and also, to this, do our districts have the necessary finance finances to hire additional tutors, counselors, motivators, and teachers' assistants. Watch out for those property taxes because they can only go up as school districts try to catch up. And how will your district get computers and Internet access to all students who currently lack them? Another big issue. Let's turn now to parents. What can we do? Well, as a parent, how about you? After uh, more than three months of trying to supervise your kids and teenagers at home, uh, at home learning, while juggling your jobs and other responsibilities, are you ready to begin coaching and motivating again this, this summer and fall? If not, where can you turn for help? First, stay in touch with your local district. Many districts plan to offer summer school, likely remote, to get students caught up and help control, combat the COVID slide. And if your student doesn't have access to online learning, uh, your school district or a charity may be able to get her or him connected uh, for little or if any cost out of your pocket. For example, in Cleveland, Ohio, where an estimated 40% of families don't have access to high-speed Internet, schools delivered more than 4,000 wireless uh, hotspots and more than 15,000 laptops and iPads uh, when instruction moved online back in March. And I'm sure a number of districts will be willing to do the same this fall. Similar help will be made available, I'm sure, this summer and in the fall. And as parents, our message to our offspring of any age, you must continue to study online and in class for your future, but enjoy yourself along the way. You're under no time pressure, uh, so learn at your own pace but you must master each subject. You are learning entirely for your own benefit. It doesn't really matter if you're ahead or behind the curve of classmates. All that matters is that you understand and have mastered the subject matter. So take as long as you need. And there will be plenty of times out from study this summer to have a good time. Be sure to promise them that. And to close today's program, let's talk a bit about your what your child or teen's learning might look like this fall. Well, most experts contemplate opening in the fall with a hybrid system of splitting up classes and rotating students in and out of classrooms. They'll probably stay in their classrooms while teachers come and go. Some students will report to the school on some days of the week, while others will report remotely on those days, and then they'll flip-flop the next day. And many districts foresee younger children who can't be left at home in classrooms, uh, certainly kindergartners, first and second graders, for instance, while older students spend most of their week learning at home. And let's close today's program with a bit of good news. 
most educators both hope and believe that the rockiest days of remote learning are behind us, as Danielle Budigavoli, a school counselor from Staten Island, New York, puts it, uh, we've been building this plane and flying it at the same time. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty tricky proposition. Uh, we've been uh, getting stronger at using these platforms, and I think that uh, the same goes for the students. So please keep always in mind as your kids prepare for and then return to the classroom this fall that all of us, teachers and school administrators, us as parents and our children are in this together to routinely keep in touch with so routinely keep in touch with your students to ensure that they are making progress, attend school board functions, and don't fail to speak out in front of uh, in favor of wise reforms like those mentioned by education expert Lynn Lesh earlier in our program. Each student should have personal impact. Uh, into the subjects that they want to study and concentrate on and uh, then give the time and energy needed to master that subject matter. And that it's not the time it takes, it's the mastery you need to move on with your life. That's the important thing. And we'll speak to you again next week on a different subject. And bye for now. Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.